I'm Carolyn. And I'm Eric. And this is We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I want to talk about a story that revels in killing a kid, the potential interpretations of it, and why I think it matters. We've got a big day ahead of us. Okay, so Astounding Magazine publishes a short story by Tom Godwin in 1954 called Cold Equations. Mm -hmm. In the story, a great big cruiser is zipping by a colonized planet when it gets a distress call. The colonizers have been stricken by a flu and all their vaccinations blew away in a storm. So Mm -hmm. they need help. This is why you don't tie your vaccinations to kites. (laughs) The cruiser is too big and its resources too few to change course, but that's fine. They've foreseen this exact difficulty the cruiser people have, and they've come up with a solution. So an EDS, or an emergency drop ship, it's a lightweight, collapsible ship armed with just the bare necessities to get to planets and the colonizers in need. The story starts when the fuel gauge on the EDS is dropping too quickly. I love the TLAs. It really puts me back in the 50s. (laughs) What? The three-letter acronyms. If you don't have a three-letter acronym, it's not (laughs) sci-fi. So the the fuel gauge is dropping too quickly. So remember, it only has enough fuel to get the medicine and the pilot to the planet. There's nothing else in that ship. And back? Or is he just gone? No, no, not back. They're just going to the planet. I don't know how he gets back. I think it's in the story, but I didn't pay that much attention. I don't know. I'm glad we're doing an entire podcast about it then. (laughs) No, really, it didn't matter. I promise. So if anyone or anything else is on the ship, there isn't enough fuel to slow the ship down and they'll crash into the planet. Obviously, there's something else on the ship. Is this a Jonesy situation? Is there a cat involved here? (laughs) No, there's a stowaway. In this world, it's illegal to stow away on an EDS. So the pilot is armed with a pistol or a laser gun to shoot the stowaway on sight. That sounds like a lot of added weight right there. In fact, our intrepid hero is ready to murder the stowaway because stowaways are almost always dangerous, desperate men who deserve what's coming to them. Oh, yeah. I, I can see that. This is like literal text. He thinks to himself, I'm going to murder him. It's the him. 50s. So, yes, kill the poor. <laughs> Except, oh, no, when he opens the door to the supply closet, it's a young girl. Uh-oh. <laughs> he can't kill her. She has her whole life ahead of her. And she's really adorable and super pathetic. Sounds like they just chucked that laser gun and have enough room for her. Have you read this story? No. <laughs> this is Marilyn Lee Cross. She stowed away in the EDS because she wanted to see her brother on the colonized planet. The brother had no idea that she'd done this. They had a plan to rendezvous on another planet after his mission was over. It doesn't matter. She's been found and she's ready to pay whatever fine is necessary. Hmm. Except we know that there isn't a fine. So she's coming across as this little poor little rich girl who decided to get her own way and pay a fine if she got caught. Yes, but it's not coming across. It's directly stated in the text. Oh, well, then fine. (laughs) She says, I'm going to pay a fine. And the pilot thinks to himself, it's because she didn't understand Mm -hmm. the rules of the frontier. Her poor feminine mind could not comprehend. (laughs) So... The whole premise is that it's just the natural laws, physics, that cruel mistress who demands that Marilyn Lee Cross die. There simply isn't enough fuel and nothing can be done. So there is a fair amount of story between that revelation and the end of the story. Mm -hmm. 
They're gnashing teeth, wailing, a whole mess. It doesn't matter. In the end, these are the cold equations. (laughs) She steps into the airlock willingly. Oh, because she's been convinced by his rational masculine mind. There's nothing else to be done, Eric. She has to die. We have to save the coloners. (laughs) Coloners, yes. (laughs) The coloners. So he has to eject her into the cold vacuum of space. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. She's dead now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Any commentary on the story? I mean, aside from the obvious sexism. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I get into the sexism. (laughs) Oh, well, well. I'm completely lost here, then. The sexism is totally a thing. The story is super sexist. Much is made about the way Marilyn looks and how sad she is and how she doesn't know anything. And a lot of commentary has been made about uh, feminism in this story. Mm -hmm. That's just not where I wanted to go with this. All right. Well, let's not retread a path that's been tread before. And we're going to retread other paths that have been tread before. No, this is a unique idea you're presenting. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Well, I am disillusioned. So despite being nearly 70 years old, people mm-hmm. are still discussing the story, obviously, because wow, what? <laughs> what an ethical quandary this oh, yeah. was. So this is the trolley problem in space, basically. Y- yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Episode title. The trolley problem in, in space. space. And that's where we're going with this, kind of. Okay. Actually, you segued beautifully. Oh, because, thank you. Yeah. The best part people of it. People always compliment my segue. <laughs> The best part of it, the part we're going to focus on now, is that the story is obviously, in quotation marks, very open to interpretation, and it's just ambiguous enough to be a Rorschach for your worldview. Was it intended as one, or is this... (laughs) I'm trying to figure out if we're going to go there right now, if we're going to save that to the end. Okay. Like, do you want to do the interpretations, or do you want to talk about why this happened? Let's let's start with interpretations. Let's save dessert. So let's look at the very first possible interpretation. The most obvious one. This is if you read the story straight. It's about Mm -hmm. how physics or fate or destiny or the universe, whatever you want to call it, doesn't care about our petty human lives or desires. Marilyn stepped into a deadly situation. Her motives for doing so and her own understanding of the consequences are moot. In order to save the colonizers, she must die. It's tragic, but immutable. In my limited experience... This is the interpretation people get the most zealous about? Oh, yeah. Fucking sci-fi grognards. They're going to go, yes. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> sci-fi what now? Grognards. What is a grognard? Is it a thing in an alien's pants, like a gonad, but for an alien? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a wargaming term for people who oh. get way too into it and are just numbers, numbers, numbers. This is the exact most efficient way to do things. That's a great word. But yes, they're obsessed with how this is just the trolley problem in space. The people who argue about this simply do not understand the story. Look at me go. Misunderstanding the story. (laughs) Uh, They really dig their heels in and insist that this is what the story means. Mm -hmm. And I get that in order to interpret the story this way, you have to view it as like a one-way street. This might be a really tired metaphor, but try and stick with me. Okay. The end is the end because it is the end. Marilyn must die because there isn't someone to save you when you make deadly mistakes. That's the way they view this. There's just death. Mm -hmm. The story itself defends this line of thinking by weaving in a Wild West motif. Uh, The pilot thinks about how because Marilyn is from the more genteel and civilized Earth, she doesn't understand the dangers of life on the frontier. She assumes that she'll have to pay a fine for stowing away because those are the penalties of Earth. 
but she is in the colonies now. The rules don't exist to maintain civility. He's thinking this. They exist to keep you alive. Since Marilyn broke the rules, Marilyn must die. Nothing can be done. If you think, <laughs> if you think I'm being overwrought, you should read the story. <laughs> oh, I, I even included a quote. I'm so cute. Adorable. Go ahead. In a way, she could not be blamed for her ignorance of the law. She was of Earth and had not realized that the laws of the space frontier must, of necessity, be as hard and relentless as the environment that gave them birth. Or penises. <laughs> Marilyn has never met a dick, okay? She is young. She is naive. Sluts are not tragic when you murder them. Virgins okay. are tragic. You only throw virgins into volcanoes. <laughs> There's something to that nothing can be done feeling, I think, that really romanticizes Marilyn's death mm -hmm. because she's pretty and young and naive. We pity her and the story revels in the pity and the inevitability of her fate. But also it sounds like it's, oh, she's getting what she deserves because she's not like us frontiersmen. Yes. You can have it both ways. <laughs> you can feel bad for her and also hate her a little bit. Okay. Because, yeah, that's... Cause she's a woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's a woman in sci-fi. What is she thinking? <laughs> How dare she? Pretty girl breaks rules because she doesn't understand the world, so pretty girl must die. Mm -hmm. And as I said, truly, so much is said about how pretty she is. So, like, I'm harping on it because they harped on it first. Just going to bring this back to feminism for a second. It's like a woman walks home alone at night and she deserves whatever happens to her because she's breaking that social construct. Yeah, she thought she would be safe just because she was on her own street. How dare she? Mm -hmm. A preposterous idea. She went outside what men prescribed for her, so she deserves whatever happens to her. So that feeling, you can savor that righteous feeling that you wouldn't be the person who died in that situation. Yeah. Because you would have followed the rules. Mm -hmm. You don't make those kinds of mistakes. No. You're a grognard. <laughs> You're smart enough to guide all the other pretty girls in your life to better decision-making, cautioning them the against... pretty girl shepherd. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you wouldn't let them stow away on ships. You know better. Mm -hmm. However. However. If you want to interpret the story a different way, or... Uh, <laughs> if you're forced to because you simply don't identify with the pilot, you identify <laughs> with Marilyn, then you don't start from a place of pathos or pity. You start from a place of outrage, mm -hmm. which changes the entire story. Yeah. You don't pity Marilyn and her inescapable fate. You're outraged that she died at all. Why did this happen? And how did it happen? These are the questions you ask yourself. And then you scour the text for the answers. If the story did only one thing, the thing it claimed to be doing, there would be no answers. There are so many answers. <laughs> there are a very few notable things that lead to Marilyn's fate. The most notable... <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about this. <laughs> mm -hmm. The only sign to warn her away was unauthorized personnel keep out. No mention of death, no mention of dying, no mention of ruining the mission or anything like that well when death's at every corner you can't mention it every time <laughs> in the frontier <laughs> there's only the mention of that one single sign above the area where the eds's are stored mm -hmm. my neighbors have more threatening signs to prevent parking in front of their driveway <laughs> 
It's a sign open to interpretation, and there's really no reason to read unauthorized personnel keep out and assume there's any more danger than a stern talking to waiting. I thought we were still talking about the sign in front of your neighbor's driveway. (laughs) Open to interpretation, huh? (laughs) For the outraged crowd, like me, Mm. there's a lot said in the unsaid. For example, why didn't the pilot have a pre-flight check to make sure everything was good to go? You'd think there'd be like standards and metrics and things that show, oh, I'm overweight. Something's weird here. Before you left. Marilyn was hiding where the medicine was. So even if all he did was check to make sure the medicine was there, he would have found her. There's no time. The text also explicitly mentions an airlock and a separate room for the cargo, which is a space big enough for Marilyn to hide in. And remember, this is a lightweight, collapsible ship armed with just the bare necessities. In what world is a storage closet a necessity? <laughs> why have an airlock? If there's all of this extra stuff, why not jettison that instead of her? There is actually a short story that was written in response to the cold equations by Don Sakers called The Cold Solution, in which the pilot, who's a woman in this because he gender bends the story, mm-hmm. chops off body parts from herself and the stowaway and jettisons those until they're light enough. Yeah, that's the solution. It seems a little extreme, yeah. but it's better than killing someone. Why would you even have an airlock if this is what it's designed to do? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> why would you? I don't know why they have an airlock and a pistol to kill them. That's like double. Wait. Yeah. And remember, no margin for error, guys. None. It's 50 sci-fi. Move on. It's it's the no! Navy in space. It's built by freaking engineers. And if there's one thing engineers just truly love, it's margins for error. They're like, something can go wrong, and it will. <laughs> So Cory Doctorow said something about the story that really lodged in my head, which is mm-hmm. how I found the story. Side note, Cory Doctorow pays for Twitter, and it upsets me more Why than I really wanted. Why does he? Why, sir? No. Yeah, Cory Doctorow got shat upon from great heights for paying for Twitter. Mm. And he defended himself, and he made some points, but I did not buy it. Anyway. He was the first guest I saw at PhilCon. I had a feeling he was a PhilCon person. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so stumbling on this quote out of context is what made me go find the cold equations. The parameters of the cold equations are not the inescapable laws of physics. Zoom out beyond the page's edges and you'll find the author's hands carefully arranging the scenery so that the plague, the world, the fuel, the girl, and the pilot are all poised to inevitably lead to her execution. The author, not the girl, decided that there was no autopilot that could land the ship without the pilot. The author decided that the plague was fatal to all concerned and that the vaccine needed to be delivered within a time frame that can only be attained through the execution of the stowaway. A large part of me wanted... This is me talking now. Okay, Mm -hmm. right. We're done with Corey. A large part of me wanted to hand wave this immediately because Dr. O is, frankly, just describing uh, fiction. Yes. The author makes decisions to place characters in certain situations to tell certain kinds of stories. Of course, Godwin made the decisions that led to Marilyn's death. God win. I get it. (laughs) Marilyn isn't real. She couldn't have made any decisions. But I think there's a bigger point being made here and dismissing it as just describing fiction is uh, obtuse. Obtuse but accurate. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like he decided he was going to be cruel to this woman when he started this story. And then hit it in the guise of... No, it's for the greater good. Yeah, but really you're just being a little bastard. Mm -hmm. And I think that particular thing like that's kind of what i want you to hold on to moving forward is like that idea Mm -hmm. so stories form and reflect our thought patterns Mm -hmm. this is the thing we're constantly talking about here like on this 
podcast, how yes. different pieces of media reveal different prejudices and bias. A lot of the zealots or proponents of the cold equations dismiss the outrage crowd, me, as mm -hmm. missing the point. You're an entire crowd now. Well done. I mean, sleep deprivation will do that to you. They missed the trolley problem at the heart of the story. They didn't understand the thesis that stupid people who make stupid mistakes have to die. Mm -hmm. We're back to my tired metaphor. So this is the alleyway. It is acceptable for people to die when the circumstances are right. Not only acceptable, it's potentially noble. Heroic, even. Martyrdom. I love it. When can I be a martyr? It's a one-way street. It accepts Maryland's death. It accepts the deaths of those who have either transgressed in their eyes or those who are discardable. And you have to accept that. You have to buy into that one-way thing to get to the death. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't allow us to ask why. Why did this happen? Was it preventable? And that's what people do. <laughs> if there's one thing you can guarantee about a spacecraft, it's that it's built with the margin for error because all people are stupid and all people make mistakes. So when people blow up in space, look at you, Apollo 1. People figure out why that happened and they don't let it happen again. People are idiots, but they're idiots who learn from their mistakes sometimes. Did I fully like, did I did I get on my soapbox? Did you get there? The soapbox was me? there, yes. Okay, we're probably going to get back on the soapbox later because I love a good soapbox. You just like being tall. It's important to me, man. And then I love it when you can stack the soapboxes and get uh, really self-righteous yeah. and super tall. And reach the things on the very top shelf. <laughs> okay, so we have the two interpretations, right? We have like, she had to die because this story is a trolley problem in space. And you have to understand that sometimes you just have to make an impossible choice. Mm -hmm. And then we have the interpretation where you're like, but there wasn't actually an impossible choice. There was just an idiot who wanted to murder a girl because look at all of these other options. Yeah. What I want to do is back up and talk about how this story was written. Yeah. It's Sorry, I may be spoiling things here, but it feels like he knew his audience and he knew they'd revel in seeing this girl get her comeuppance. And he wrote the story for that. False. False. Okay. I think that would be our interpretation if I didn't know how it happened. Okay. And I can't say you're 100% wrong. I'm going to say you're 80% wrong. I'll take that 20%. Tom Godwin, the author, didn't want the girl to die at the end of the story. He wrote a story where she was saved, and they found some magical way to make it work. That was the way that 1950s sci-fi worked. There is some debate about whether the story was meant to purposely subvert that or if stories that subverted that already existed this story was like ripped out of the pages of some other magazine anyway the editor at astounding john w campbell had an axe to grind and he wanted the girl to die oh yes john campbell our favorite apparently spoilers we're gonna get to talk about him maybe in the next episode hopefully hopefully we're not great at timing we'll see spoiler alert he's a bag of dicks well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So he wanted this girl to die. So he sent the story back at least three times for rewrites. Every time Godwin saved her heroically and Campbell demanded that she die. He demanded that the loopholes that were written in to save her be closed. The cold equations of physics must reign. <laughs> Sometimes people are just too unfortunate to live. So as a result, I think there's this constant push and pull of loopholes, mm -hmm. which is why you can interpret the story two different ways. Okay, so it gets worse. <laughs> it usually does. John Campbell was going through a contrarian phase <laughs> at the time that they were working on this story. 
He wanted the girl to die because he wanted to support what he called a demeaned viewpoint. Basically, he was interested in finding a way to defend the indefensible. So if you say killing babies is wrong, Campbell would come back with, that's a demeaned viewpoint. Let's find a way to make killing babies right. (laughs) So Campbell described the cold equations as a response to the demeaned viewpoint. Human sacrifice is absolutely unacceptable. He argued that the cold equations makes the reader accept that human sacrifice is valid. That was his intention. And he sent the story back to Godwin at least four times because Godwin kept finding ways to save the girl. And Campbell wanted her to die because he wanted a story that demonstrated that under certain circumstances, it's okay to murder people. (laughs) Is this sounding a little Nazi-ish to me? A little bit. In the 50s. Wow, we just got over that whole Nazi problem. Nah, come on. We're, we're now living in 2023, and everybody knows we didn't actually get over the Nazi problem. All right, well, we beat it back enough that... It you was... wouldn't expect it to show up in mainstream sci-fi. Yeah. It matters that Godwin and Campbell engineered this situation. It matters that they stacked the deck against Marilyn under the pretense of natural law and then executed her in such a way that we're all supposed to accept it because it creates a situation in our minds where that's now acceptable. And it's not. It's never acceptable. No. The one thing you can definitely say about children dying in real life is that at no point does someone say, oh, it was just for the greater good. (laughs) There are some people who say that we need to make sacrifices so gun laws stay in place. You make a good point. The gun thing is a good point. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't situations in which the natural law doesn't prevail. People die for stupid and or noble reasons all the time. In 1996, an expert Everest guy died on the top of the mountain because he both nobly and stupidly wouldn't come down until his charge came down. So they both died. It was horribly tragic and it haunts me. (laughs) You can go back and forth on whether, I can't remember his name, Rob, somebody, should or shouldn't have died and whether it was noble or not. But that's not what happened here. The cold equations wants to be into the wild in space. It wants to be to build a fire in space. But it's not. The only natural law that rules the spaceship is that of people. Miranda never, not once, comes up against actual physics or actual nature. She meets a captain. She meets a bureaucracy. And they all say she has to die because they decided what and who was important in that moment. They decided there was no margin for error. They decided not to have a pre-flight check or proper signs. This isn't physics. It's not the boulder that fell on the dude in 127 hours. Hiding this under the guise of physics is handing callous people a Bible to live by. The cold equations support this worldview, and therefore this worldview is right. Killing people you deem immature or stupid is supported by this story. Am I going too far? I feel like I'm going too far, but I think the story is ugly. No, you're hitting the nail on the head with this. It's an ugly story when you peel back the faux layers. I think it's super messed up, and it's super messed up to defend it as if it is intelligent or enlightened or what sci-fi really is. But yeah, the story is about how physics doesn't care about you. Sure. Tell me again how I don't understand the trolley problem. (laughs) The idea that it's noble to kill off young girls to save people haunts the genre to this day. The Last of Us just recently finished on HBO Max, and while it does a lot of interesting stuff, it also, spoilers, tries to convince the watcher or player that killing a child is a moral dilemma. It's not! (laughs) There's no moral dilemma. 
Or at least I haven't come across a piece of media that effectively makes the case for one without relying on pathos or junk science or unrealistically stacked decks. I want to know if there's any historical case of it. Is there a true story where we debate the validity of murdering a child? I feel like there must be, but for the life of me, I can't think of one. And if the circumstances haven't arisen in real life, why in the world are we trying to create them in fiction? What's the end game here? Why is it so satisfying to imagine a world in which killing a kid, or anyone really, is an ethical dilemma? I'm not going to argue against the emotional interest here. If you don't immediately fall out of the story, there's a righteous swell waiting in the muck of emotions, a feeling that it was an inevitable, that nothing could be done, that it was tragic but important, and people really like those feelings. Most of Shakespeare's tragedies reap those exact emotions. You're saying Godwin is Shakespeare now? No. No, I'm saying that... A time-traveling William Shakespeare came to 1954 and wrote The Cold Equations. Fuck is that, you. That's, Fuck you. Is that Fuck the point you. of this podcast? I'm saying... Because I need you to cite your sources here. <laughs> I'm saying that there's nothing wrong with enjoying pathos. I like my idea better. Carry on. <laughs> I'm saying it's disingenuous to pretend that you, the writer, or you, the audience member, or you, the consumer, are more noble or enlightened because you understand the cold equations, the trolley problem, the inevitability of fate. You don't. You're grognard. <laughs> you are the perfect sphere in a physics problem. What? Uh, is it physics or math? No, it's mathematicians. Sorry, you're a perfect sphere in a mathematician's problem. So it's mathematicians versus physicists, where in a math equation, they're talking about a perfect sphere in a vacuum. They're using the pure numbers, and if the pure numbers say this, then this will happen. A physicist has to take it into, there's no such thing as a perfect sphere. If it moves, it's going to have air resistance. It's going to have all these little ripple effects that you have to deal with. To that point, kind of, though, even though I just want to get back on my soapbox, I appreciate the idea of fiction being a place where you can pare down large problems to yeah. understand small pieces of them. I'm just saying that this didn't do that. That's not what happened here. No, they went for the pathos and dressed it up in self-righteousness. Yes! And it really pisses me off. Depth is not a lack of nuance. Mm -hmm. Campbell was like, can I create a problem that doesn't leave room for nuance? Yes! Yeah, and it's, it's called the trolley problem. It's not deep. It's not enlightened. It's edgy. Congrats, Campbell. You have the intellect of a 15-year-old. I mean, yeah, pretty much. We don't like John Campbell in this podcast. I just, I also think that as a creator, and I, I might really be going out on a limb here. I don't know. I kind of want your feedback on this. But I feel like as a creator, you become partly responsible for putting this into people's heads. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, that's a really like slippery slope. And I don't want to be like, you're responsible for everything that people do with your art or whatever. I just want people to take, no, I don't know what I'm trying to say. You're making zealots. Yeah. Okay? I wrote like 2,000 words on this because I had a hard time. No, I'm pretty sure this is the playbook for people who try to recruit teenagers to become Nazis. You give them these scenarios where the only correct answer is the one that you're trying to push them towards. And say, well, doesn't this make sense? Kill the girl. Yeah. Kill her. Kill Marilyn. Marilyn must die. Yeah. I didn't I didn't actually know that. That's uh, really disturbing. Oh, yeah. The YouTube to Nazi pipeline. It's a whole thing. I'm familiar with the pipeline. I didn't know that part of it. Like this fake moral quandary. And It I sounds also... like it's the dumb person's idea of a smart philosophy. There we go. 
That's the podcast, guys. I think the thing that also really bothers me about it, though, is how in the cold equations, people who poke holes at it, people who zoom back like Cory Doctorow and we're like, look at what's happening here. Like, why is that the only sign? Why didn't they <laughs> throw something else out of the airlock? Why didn't they try to do something else? Dismissing those people as not understanding the problem it's so indicative of having like a moral philosophy that is unshakable. Yeah. It's disturbing. Shades of gray? What the fuck is that? No, it's black and white or nothing. Or nothing. Marilyn must die or you don't understand the problem. Marilyn dies or the planet dies. No other options here. There are seven people on that planet. I know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you think I'm off my rocker? Do you think this was even worth talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you absolutely think I'm off my rocker. Absolutely, yes. Thank you. No, it was definitely worth talking about. Um, I'm just going to double back and say they knew their audience. Campbell knew his audience. Campbell knew the hyper-rational nerds he was catering towards, and that's probably why this story has stuck around for so long. This is Ben. We used to be the smart kids. I'm Eric. And I'm Carolyn. And now you're smarter. And closer to being a Nazi. Please don't. Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony. And you can find them at onemansymphony.com. 